We're beginning chapter 20 now. Uh, the last couple chapters, we concentrated a lot on Elijah the prophet. And now the narrative shifts uh, its focus to King Ahab, Achav, Melch Yisrael. Verse 1, it says the following. Ubenadad Melch Aram, Kavatzet Kol Chelo. And Benadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army. Usloshim Ushnayim Melchito, and 32 kings with him. Vesus Verechev, horses and chariots. Vayal Vietzar Shamron. And he went up and he besieged Samaria, Vielechemba, to fight against it. So we have Aram, a nation of Aram attacking uh, Israel. We saw Aram, uh, which is the geographical area of Syria, it's to the north of Israel. And they're an enemy that we've seen before in the book of Judges at the beginning there. There was the Aram attacking uh, Otniel, the judge, uh, led by Kushan Rishatayim. And we know King David had many clashes with Aram in the book of Shmuel. And even Solomon, at the end of his days, Hashem sent an agitator from Aram. So this is an enemy that has been around. And Benadad, we've seen him also because we had Benadad attack King Basha, who was a couple of kings before Achav, who was the king of Samaria. Now, this Benadad is probably a different one than the one who attacked uh, King Basha a few chapters ago. Benadad is the generic name of any king of Aram. It doesn't have to be a specific person. Just like Pharaoh is the general or generic name of the monarch of Egypt, so too here Benadad is the king of Aram in general. And he comes with 32 kings. Now, that's quite a confederation of kings with him. Just like Joshua fought the 31 kings of Canaan, we got here 32 kings joining Benadad, and they're coming against Samaria. So what's he going to do in verse 2? So he sends messengers to Achav, king of Israel, to the city. Vayomer, verse 3, and what does he say? Benadad, thus says Benadad, Kaspecha uzavcha lihu, your silver and your gold are mine, Nashechu banecha tovim lihem, and your beautiful wives and children are also mine. So that's a pretty... Uh, ominous uh, message he's got to bring over there. Very threatening. And what is Achav going to answer in verse 4? Vayan Melech Yisrael. And the king of Israel answered, Kidvarcha Adoni. As you say, my master, the king, Amelech, Lechani, I'm yours, V'chol Asherli. And all that is mine is yours. So Achav is basically surrendering. Now, we know that Achav is not a cowardly king. He's a fighting king, but he obviously feels overwhelmed by the uh, sheer numbers that the king of Aram is bringing against him, and he's been taken by surprise here. So he's basically taking a policy of surrender. So verse 5, we see that Benadad's not finished yet. and he got, He's got more to say. So they come back, the messengers of Benadad, and they say, Thus says Benadad, to say, He says, when I said that your silver and your gold and your wives and your children are mine, I said that you're going to give them to me. That is, Achav thought that, which is usually the case, that Benadad, king of Aram, wants him to pay homage or to pay tribute and to subjugate himself to Aram. But what he's saying here now is, I don't mean that. I mean, I'm coming to physically come over there and you're going to give me your stuff. So you, I'm going to pillage all your subjects. That's why it says, Lititen, give them to me. In verse 3, he said, your money, Lihu, it's mine. 
So Achav figured, okay, it's considered his, I'll pay him tribute. That's what he wants. No, he's saying, give them over to me, hand them over to me. So we're talking about a real malicious intent here by uh, Ben Adad, king of Aram. He wants to physically uh, pillage Achav. So verse 6, he continues on that line of thought. Ki imke et machar, because at this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my servants to you. They're going to search your house. And the houses of your servants. And anything that's precious in your eyes, they're going to put in their hands and they're going to take it. So he's reiterating his crazy demand that he wants to come over physically and take Achav's stuff. Now, what's interesting though, the sages here chime in and they glean off the expression in verse 6, kol machmadeinecha, anything precious in your eyes, we're going to take. Now, what could it be? We, we've already mentioned his, his uh, wives, his children, his gold and his silver. I mean, what else could it be? So they learn out from here that what ben is asking or demanding is the Sefer Torah that belongs to Achav. That's machmadeinecha. Now, they learned that from the Psalms 19, verse 11, where David says that the Mishpatim, that Hashem's Torah, is nechmadim mizahav. It's as precious or as desirable more than gold. And that word nechmadim reminds them of mechmad. The, 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 that's the word that's used here. And therefore, Chazal's learning out that ben wants Achav's Torah scroll. Now, that's obviously not the simple understanding. It's not the pshat, and it's not mentioned literally in the narrative, but that's what the, dr- the drasha, the interpretation of the sages, they're expanding on the demand. And the Malbim uh, goes along with that. The Malbim says that, indeed, Achav has a Sefer Torah because every king of Israel was um, commanded to write a Sefer Torah. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, in Parshat Shoftim, that we see the commandment that the kings of Israel uh, to keep them humble and grounded, they were commanded to write a Sefer Torah, a Torah scroll, and walk around with his Torah all the time so they don't get arrogant. And that's the Torah scroll that ben wants. And that was like a status symbol. So the uh, Malbim uh, expands on that. He's a, it's like a status symbol of the king is, is Sefer Torah. And for him to give it up, it's like delegitimizing his, his monarchy. And therefore, that's what ben wants. Again, it's not the simple understanding, but the Chazal learned that out from, from Machmadei Necha. And plus, we see in the next verse that Achav is going to convene the Ziknei of the Zkenim, uh, the Sanhedrin, the elders, because the Torah belongs to them too, more to them than to Achav. And we see that Achav does have that, um, that Pintelayid. He's got the Jewish spark in him. We saw it at Mount Carmel certainly two chapters ago when Eli, Elijah was influencing him and he brought down the fire. We saw that Achav was certainly moved by that. And the Talmud um, also mentions that Achav uh, had longevity as king. We know he reigned for 22 years. And this Talmud says that's because he had respect for Torah, which was written with 22 letters. So all that is to kind of explain some of the ideas of Chazal that ben is going for a lot more than just his family and his money. So let's look at verse 7. And the king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land. And he said, Notice or see 
Ra'u, realize, ki ra'ah Look what this evil person is demanding. I mean, he sent for my wives, my sons, my silver and my gold, and I didn't prevent it. And that's how he uh, ends that verse. In other words, he's saying, look, I've, he's demanded all that. I was willing to give it to him. So he's really being uh, obstinate and chutzpah. What should I do? Now, um, notice how Achav changes the order. Benadad said, give me your silver, your gold, your, children, your women and your children. Here Achav reverses the order. He knows what's important. He says, my women, my children, my silver and my gold. He shows his order of preference. And so what's the answer now of the elders? Verse 8, And they said to him, Not all the elders, but he obviously summoned the Am, the people. So he had a broad audience to ask his question. And they said, Do not obey and do not consent to him. So they tell him not to do this. I mean, he just crossed a red line. Whether you take the simple understanding that he's crossed the red line by by demanding to pillage your stuff or by asking for your Sefer Torah, which is the, uh, the, the drusha of the sages. In any case, they say no. So now they're going to tell the messengers of Benadad the answer because they've been waiting for the answer. So it says that they told the messengers of Adad, Imruna tell to your master, the king, everything that you sent your servant to do, I'm willing to do Whatever you asked your servant to do. But this matter, I cannot do. I cannot do this. Again, they kind of leave it um, in the air. What, what can't he do? That's why maybe the sages think they might be talking about something more. Maybe talking really about a Torah scroll, even though, again, it's between the lines. So they went back to Benadad and gave him the answer. So now let's see what Benadad's reaction is in verse 10. So Benadad came back to him and he said, So he opens up his, his, uh, his, um, his words to Achav by saying, So shall the gods do to me and so, so they continue. Now we saw that expression by Jezebel when she wanted to kill um, Elijah. This is like a Lashon Shvua when they really want to emphasize something. They have this expression, and then he says what he means. That there's not enough earth in this, in this Samaria to suffice for the footsteps for all the people who are with me. Well, that's a kind of a kind of poetic verse. What's he trying to say? And it's open to interpretation. The most simple understanding is he's basically saying that I got such multitudes of soldiers that we're just going to level the hills of Samaria to dust. That's how many people I have with me. It's going to be like not even a fight. Or they want to say, maybe the interpretation, and it depends how you translate the word sha'alim in, in English, sha'alim. It could be a handcuff or handful that they're saying, what he's saying is that my men can carry off the dust of the Shomron by their handfuls. That's right. There's so many people I have with me. They're just going to pick up the dust Another idea is that um, we know that Achav is going to fortify himself behind the walled city in the Shomron. And what, would, what was the strategy against the walled city? It's very hard to penetrate a walled city in those days. They didn't have the technology. And if they had the resources, what they would do is they would build a mound or a ramp by 
with the dirt, with uh, carrying um, the earth. Now, he says, Benadad, I got so many soldiers with me, if each one takes a handful of earth in his hand, we'll be able to build a ramp and overcome your wall. In any case, he's got a pretty threatening answer to Achav, and let's see what Achav now answers. Vayan Melech Yisrael, and the king of Israel answered. Now, before we give the answer of Achav, and it's going to be a great answer, notice how Achav is is, is uh, referred to over and over again in this chapter, maybe seven or eight times, as the king of Israel. I mean, we know he's the king of Israel. Why do they keep repeating it? And that's because Achav is really acting as the king of Israel. He's um, taking responsibility, functioning as the king of Israel. And this is what he says back. Vayomer, and he said, Dabru, say, Al yitalel choger which literally means, one who girds the sword shouldn't boast as one who ungirds the sword. That is, when you go out to war, you gird your sword. And when you come back from war, you ungird your sword. Well, why are you boasting? I mean, the war hasn't even started yet. Nothing's happened yet. After the war, when you ungird your sword, then you can boast. That's like somebody's bragging before a football game. One of the members of a team, he's bragging and bragging. The other team could say, you know, one who puts on his helmet shouldn't brag as the one who takes it off. Or one who puts on his jock strap shouldn't brag as the one who takes off his jock strap. That is, wait till the thing's over. We haven't even started the, the game yet. What are you boasting for? And that shows uh, Achav's uh, cool and his uh, experience as a warrior. He's not panicky at all. And he also, he says, Dabru, say. He doesn't now, at this time, as he's doing the rest of the verses, placating uh, the king of Aram. He's been saying, Adonia Melech, Adonia Melech, Avdecha. He's been groveling to him. Now he just says, tell him, don't uh, brag, you know. So we see Achav now is acting as king and, and, and uh, aggressive a little more. He's, got an, he's answering him back. He's not acquiescing to him. So it says in verse 12, And when he heard these words, that is, when Ben-Adad heard these words, He's drinking. So he's drinking in the middle of the day. We're talking about now uh, arrogant and overconfident and drunk here. That him and the kings, not just him, the kings are drinking, the 32 kings he's got with him, but Sukkot, they're drinking in their huts. They're like having a party. Now, they have huts because, well, a sukkah is the holiday of the huts. Here, they're not celebrating sukkahs, but they have a sukkah, which is to shade them from the uh, sun because they're outside a walled city. And so they're in their huts drinking. Vayomer el avadav, and he said to his servants, "Simu, put or lay, vayisimu alaeir, and they put on the city." And that's you, you can't really uh, translate that word for word because it's probably in the army they like they like to speak in acronyms, like really short, abbreviated terms. So simu means literally to put, but what he means is to lay a siege on the city. So he just says simu. So they now besiege the city of Shomron and Achav and. The Jewish people are fortified within the Samaria walls. So it says now in verse 13, And behold, a certain prophet approached Ahab, Melech Israel, king of Israel, and he said, Thus says Hashem, Did you see that great multitude? I am delivering them into your hand. Today, Hayom, Vyadata Kiani Hashem. And you will know that I am Hashem. So the prophet comes up to Achav. Now it opens up 
hinei, and behold. When you have the word hinei, it's like a surprise, behold, because it's unexpected that a prophet of Hashem would speak to a chav unless he wanted to rebuke him. Here he's coming to tell him that you're going to win this war. I'm delivering the enemy into your hands. And he says, why? So there will be knowledge so you'll know that I am the Lord. That is, we see now that it's, a, it's like a rule uh, that Hashem, uh, of, uh, a rule of uh, Judaism that God will sometimes use people who are not worthy, like a chav, even though we know he's got a, a Jewish spark in him, right? But he's pretty much unworthy. His kingdom is one of idol worship. He's letting Jezebel run the show. And yet... Through him, Hashem will, be, will, will bring the salvation, he'll bring victory because he wants to sanctify his name, which has been trotted upon by the Goyim. So he will uh, use uh, secular Zionists like the, those who established the state of Israel, for instance. They were certainly not uh, righteous people, but because of the, sanct- uh, the desecration of God's name through the 2,000-year-old exile, and Hashem wanted to sanctify his holy name, which had been trampled upon, uh, through those 2,000 years, he will use these people who are unworthy because he wants to bring about a, a Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of his name. So we have a good example of that principle being done here. And Achav himself can't believe it that he's worthy or that he deserves this. But as we see sometimes, even if you don't deserve it, a Jew might not deserve it, but the Gentile might deserve it because of his behavior. So it says now in verse 14, Vayomer Achav, and Achav said, Bimi, to who? In other words, Achav doesn't know how he's going to win this war. Tell me what's the strategy. How, how are we going to do this? Vayomer, and he said, Hashem, thus says Hashem, medinot. Through the youths of the governors. Now, what exactly are the youths of the governors? It's, a, it's kind of a, 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 a machloket amongst the commentators. But we're not talking about those who are very experienced in warfare. We're talking about na, na, na'ar in Hebrew is either a youth or a servant. So we're not talking about experienced uh, fighters or experienced in tactics of war. Uh, and Hashem obviously wants to bring about uh, a miraculous kind of war through limited numbers and through inexperienced soldiers because again, He wants to sanctify His name so there'll be Yediyat Hashem, knowledge of Hashem. Um, and He continues, Achav. So Achav asks, and who's going to lead the war? That is, Achav can't believe that he would lead the war because he knows he's not worthy. And the answer is, Vayomer, Ata, you, you Achav will lead the war. So, let's see now. Achav now is going to lead this war. Now, remember, the, the, the prophet is basically telling Achav that you're going to go now on a preemptive strike. You're going to go fight them. Don't stay behind the walled city. And of course, that's going to be a huge surprise because you don't usually see a preemptive strike from people who are fortifying themselves behind a walled city. Usually when you're in a walled city, the most you can do is like throw rocks at them from the top of the wall. But to actually come out of the city and attack, that's, that's a rare, that's a surprise. And now let's see now in verse uh, 15 what happens. And he counted the use of the governor's and there were 232. And then he afterwards he counted all the people. Israel, all the children of Israel, Shivat Elafim. So he's got 232 youths of the governors, which is nothing. And then another 7,000 
let's call them soldiers, regular soldiers. Now that 7,000 kind of reminds us of the 7,000 Jews that will be left after the, the, uh, the punishment. If we recall chapter 19, the last chapter, Elijah was told about a punishment to the Jewish people for their sins and there'll be only left 7,000 Jews who did not bow to the Baal. So we have this 7,000 again mentioned here. Maybe that's the 7,000 that's being referred to. And so they're going to now come out of the walled city and they're going to surprise a drunken Benedad and a bunch of 32 kings are just not expecting it. And we're going to see how this war plays itself out in our next shiur.